millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello, and welcome to The Chat Returns, a mini-series of conversations about our relationships with the world's greatest animation studio, Studio Ghibli. I'm Michael Leder, and I've seen a lot of them. And I'm Jake Cunningham, and I'm a bit of a monster for them as well. So join us on our quest into the glorious world of Ghibli. Jake. Welcome back to The Chat Returns. I don't want to pick favourites, but I have a feeling you're really excited about the guest today. I certainly am, Michael. Um, This is Enrico Casarossa, who is the director of what is currently uh, my favourite film of the year, Luca. Uh, And I've been bugging you with all of the things that have made me cry about it and why I'm so excited about the interview and all these things I love. Uh, And maybe... Is that a bit frustrating that I've maybe never gone to that same emotional depth with any of the Ghibli films? Is that bad? I'd like to think if we ever bagged the big man Miyazaki himself, you'd be similarly excited. But no, I'm 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 always happy for enthusiasm to leach into the pod in whatever form it takes. So Enrico Gazzarossa, Luca out now on Disney Plus. Of course, before then, he made an amazing Pixar short called La Luna. I talk a lot about my two-year-old. Um, and how I'm trying to get him into animation. He once told me outright to my face he doesn't like films, and a little part of me died inside. Uh, But we have a little playlist of Disney and Pixar shorts that we watch together. If he's kind of getting a little sleepy towards nap time, we watch Paper Man, um, The Blue Umbrella, and La Luna, absolutely gorgeous film about a boy, his dad, and his granddad, sort of fishing for stars on the moon which is a beautiful film it really is amazing uh and so so great to be able to talk to enrico kind of it's 10 years on from la luna now because it's moved so quickly uh these days uh god where does where has that gone but now now he's made his feature and he's kind of delivered on the promise of that short in such a wonderful way and for us Ghibli fans, uh, there is so much in Luca that you're going to kind of be scouting out for. And it was so nice to talk to Enrico, who revealed himself to be just as big a Ghibli nerd, if not bigger than us. Yeah, we've talked to some real nerds in these interview miniseries so far, but I think that Enrico uh, is is top of the table. It's very rare where you watch a film and you think, oh, what are all these influences and inspirations I can feel uh, in between the frames? And then you ask the director and actually, yeah, almost all of them were fully there from the start. 
It's been such a treat. It's so exciting to have him on the podcast. And it's just another hugely exciting thing to add to all of the other stuff that we're doing at the moment. Uh, it's uh, it's an amazing time to be making this podcast because we've got all of these guests coming up, uh, not just in Rico, but guests running throughout the summer. And then that's all in the lead up to our book. Uh, Ghibliotech, the book, is going to be out in early September in the UK. That's uh, early October if you're in the US. And that's kind of our journey of taking our podcast and putting it on paper and kind of exploring the films of Studio Ghibli in our own way. And that's our opportunity to take our podcast and put it down on paper. Absolutely. Going from Now Screw the Valley of the Wind all the way up to Earwig and the Witch from this year. It's adapting the podcast, but it's going deeper than the podcast because we're going back to some of those films that we covered on here maybe three years ago now, nearly. It's like Spirited Away, Princess Mononoke. We're hitting the books again. I'm writing contextual production history essays covering the people behind the films the companies behind the films lots of pixar chat in there relevant to today's um, interview but then jake you've also been able to go and watch and re-watch all these films so you have a bit more of a seasoned enthusiasts film review rather than the first time a review uh, on the podcast and just kind of catching up with all of those Ghibli fans that have watched these films endless times, uh, had the pleasure of doing the same thing and just being able to uh, carve out so much time to just go and watch and rewatch all of these wonderful films. Uh, it's been such a pleasure and we can't wait for that to get out there. And in the meantime, if we're not making enough on the main feed for you, uh, make sure you head over to Apple Podcasts where we've got even more podcasts. We've got our Library Cafe spin-off show, which is our breakout space for conversations about things that aren't Studio Ghibli, although may occasionally be slightly related, right? Absolutely. Comics, video games, maybe food someday what, what else we're going to spin out into but all of the things we are nice wonderful complex individuals with much going on in our lives that aren't ghibli films so we're bringing all that to the table but of course primarily we are individuals totally focused on studio ghibli films and that's uh, most of the time what we're doing and so let's uh, go back to your regularly scheduled programming uh, which is our conversation with luca director enrico casarossa Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Enrico, it is it is so lovely to have you on the podcast. We are huge fans of Luca. We're huge fans of La Luna. And uh, we understand that you might be a big fan of uh, Studio Ghibli as well. Uh, so we would love to know, what was your first encounter with Studio Ghibli? Okay, yeah, this one's, I have to go way back, which is really interesting. Future Boy Conan is one of the first times that I remember feeling there was something special about a, a TV show. So I, I grew up in Italy in the 80s and i think there were like you know there was a smorgasbord of uh japanese animation at the time that was coming you know from from you know kind of shoujo like oh candy candy was very popular uh there was a huge amount of robots you know that's where gold drake or mazinger 
um, Jig Robot, you know, there was just so much on TV. So we grew up with all that. But I, there was something that was a little different in some of these shows that were a little more realistic, a little more um, interesting. And, and so I go back to that one. Of course, that's the first um, time he, he directed, I learned later, uh, a TV series. ID was also very popular, you know, uh, uh, in uh, in Italy. So interestingly, it took me a while to go back and also, you know, explore Miyazaki's early work. But later on in the years, you know, I realized he was doing layouts for ID. He was he was working also on Three Thousand Leagues in Search of Mother, which is really interesting because it actually starts in Genova. That that TV series. Um, starts in Genoa, and I, I have a beautiful book about the artwork, and you can see how they captured the, the city really well, actually, um, which always made me wonder, oh, did they, they must have traveled to Genoa, probably, you know. But so that was the beginning, and honestly, I had to go back and realize that Future Boy Kona was, I, I loved it, like, uh, more than anything else, but um, I really realized who Miyazaki was with Laputa Castle in the Sky, so that's the first movie that I was like, oh, I, I connect, connected the dots. So that was a, I think it was a VCR copy. And uh, that is what, you know, kind of, I realized that that was the same artist. And that made me kind of really appreciate future, why I loved Future Boy Conan so much, you know. And, and it's interesting because in many ways they would have, you know, right, their choice was to have simpler characters but move them more, which is kind of the opposite of what a lot of anime would do, which is, you know, complex robots or a beautiful flowing hair, but, you know, a lot of reuse and a lot of, you know, um, kind of more limp, you know, kind of keeping things still, but have something complex move. So that's how, you know, long, long answer, but that is kind of how I started connecting the dots. And then, of course, I follow with Nausicaa, and, uh, but that was the beginning for me. Interestingly, it started with connecting the dots from Laputa to Future Boy Conan. Already that's so cool because we are so it, it, unfortunate here in the UK that we didn't get Future Boy Conan, we didn't get Heidi, didn't get you know any of this sort of pre-Ghibli stuff. So Ghibli was on your radar before it was even, you know, a, a, the studio had even been founded. So and, and even to today, those series haven't been released officially in the uk you have to kind of get import copies or something so that's uh you're, you're way ahead of us already <laughs> but when something like laputa comes on your radar you i guess a little bit older by that point had you already known that animation was your was where you wanted to go yeah that's a great question because I, I i think it was just right around the, that time that i was realizing that 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 um I wanted to be in animation because, you, uh, you know, I actually studied two years of engineering after high school. Uh, so I was really kind of uh, feeling I had to get, uh, you know, got to get a job that will pay the bills, kind of a, a stereotype. And, uh, but uh, I, and it was right smack in the middle of that moment that I was watching a lot of movies and I was really getting more and more passionate about filmmaking and, and illustration, I've always been a big comic book fan. So also then the Nausicaa comic comes into the fold here because that was getting, I think it, it started circulating too, the fact that, you know, this amazing 
over of, of this and Azica is just such a, a you know a tom I think it was still in the you know in the beginnings of it um but yeah I, I think it really made a difference I'm amazed that you mentioned how much of a tome Naushka is because if I know this this won't help our listeners but for you because you can see me just look at what my microphone stand is <laughs> that is awesome it is the complete Naushka manga because it's the only thing thick enough to get get it up this high <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome what an awesome detail but but yeah so I'm always, you know, I had Italian friends when I was at university and they would talk about the comic reading culture, the anime culture, and how so many things that were quite exotic or underground for people, for kids growing up in the UK was every day because, you know, the, the you know, you'd be buying copies of Dylan Dog off the shelf of a, of an Italian railway station or something. And, Whereas in the UK, comics still had the stigma of being just for kids or or just for nerds. So when you were watching this Ghibli stuff, how was it being presented to you? Was it just like another another animated series, another animated film? Did you know that it was sort of a prestige thing that you were watching? Yeah, I don't I don't remember feeling it was a prestige thing. It was kind of um, it it, it was more like a it, it. I think it was kind of the beginnings of the rental VCR rental machine that, you know, started being pretty big around those years. So it was, um, it, it was about going to the video shop and that they would have one that as an option, but you're right. I mean, it's funny that you mentioned Dylan dog. Cause I think that was, you're absolutely right. I was a big reader of that. And there was a sense also of, um, Marvel starting to come in. So I learned a lot of my English on X-Men and Spider-Man because I started buying them directly. There was a shop that would just um, give you like an option to um, order what you wanted. And I remember I had a couple of friends and we would just kind of, they would order a few, a few, uh, uh, you know, uh, different titles and, and then we would swap and read them. So there was definitely a lot of, uh, I think we grew up with, you know, Topolino, which is also another thing, which is interesting that, that Disney, uh, Disney comics are made in Italy, you know, like from, from, you know, I guess they started with more American artists at first, like, right? Like the Donald Duck and Uncle Scrooge and all those characters, but they had a huge life over there. Um, so it's, um, it, it is probably a huge part. I find that France had a similar um, bit, especially on, on TV. A lot of the, the French, uh, you know, people of my generation I talked to have had a similar um, experience. So it's interesting. It's like, I wonder what what uh, business uh, dealings made it so that there were these connections in some countries and not in others. It's very it's very strange. I mean, like with many other things, the UK is on the wrong side there. <laughs> you know, <laughs> <laughs> we've got many reasons to criticize uh, Britain, but that's just one of them. Yeah, that uh, the little I, the island issue but yeah i i it's interesting another interesting thing is that i've had like we have a wonderful story artist that helped you know that uh, worked on on luca that was um italian and he grew up like way later i mean he's in his 20s now but he has he's watched the same things on tv which tells you you know obviously italy has not stopped airing some of these old really old uh tv series so it that that uh, is also kind of strange that there's um 
new generation still uh, being influenced by it. Lorenzo Fresta is his name, by the way. What was your journey of discovery into the works of Ghibli as they then, as you worked your way through them? Because I've had my own strange little journey that Michael's curated. And you mentioned Laputa and Naushka, which are, of course, Miyazaki films. But there is there is so much out there as well. So w- what things were they making that you were really latching on to? Yeah, then I think that the next kind of uh, step for me in, in that kind of Ghibli uh, fandom was I, I, I made my... Uh, trip to really wanting to be in animation i was in new york city so i kind of took my journey into i want to be part of this so now then i was really interested and i had this connection from the past and what happened is that among animation artists there was i started working for a little studio i put my foot in the door with the first job and among those artists there was like laser discs this is where laser discs started coming and and there would be, um, I think, the next movie. So, so people would have a laser disc and would have a, oh, do you want to come tonight and watch the laser disc? I have a new movie. And I think the um, Kiki's Delivery Service was the, the the one that arrived, and we were just absolutely uh, in love with. And I still remember someone starting to talk about Porco Rosso, and how that was. Uh, the latest laser disc that had arrived and wa- having a party to watch it. And the interesting part about that is that we, all those don't have um, their original laser disc. And so we didn't have subtitles for, a, for a long time for those. So, but we were in that moment of wanting to learn um, about animation, seeing what Miyazaki was doing, which is so exciting. Um, and then of course, Totoro was around, you know, at that time too. I think that, that those kind of really kind of, golden era started you know really kind of hitting us so those are some of the titles that we started going like oh my gosh this is so unique you know and it's, especially Totoro you know and when you're working a little tv series at the beginning of animation there's a, definitely a little bit of a sense of like you know you're learning but you're also like somewhat frustrated you know but what what you're making and uh, that becomes the kind of thing you start studying and studying like how, how they do such different kind of storytelling and I think that both Porco Rosso and Totoro have such a different sense of story you know and I've had the luck of talking to uh, Suzuki the the producer there at Ghibli and he had this really interesting way of describing it he he, he said like the shapes of our movie confound people from the west and he said like because we build these movies usually like our architecture and then he started talking about well what would you know talking about edo architecture and that that a house would be built off of a first room and and he says like you know that first room it is finished in in beautiful detail and then another room is added adjacent to it and then another room is added and that there is a sense of adding these rooms around it without necessarily knowing exactly what the shape of the overall house will be it's just a, a, a an addition, and he drew this really interesting thing, almost like a little puzzle. But the room adjacent to room, and, and he was pointing out that Western got come in is like, how did you get this shape of this house? This is a crazy shape, and they're like, well, we just thought about making all of these pieces, and then they come together, um, which I thought was a really interesting metaphor. And again, it is also a way, you know kind of crazy being in the industry and hearing that Miyazaki was doing so much himself was also something that we were like out oh, he boards it all himself he 
he and he goes straight ahead without you know much of a script um we were also very and i mean to be honest to to this moment it is still a little vague to, to to me what he absolutely writes or what he has someone help with a script you know what i mean because he obviously is boarding himself and writing dialogue but you know is there is there any dramaturg helping there at some point i don't i don't know if that i have an answer to that but anyway so that that is a bit the second step was like oh wow look at him and look at the artwork look at the storyboards you know because i at that point i started from designing at first my first jobs were designing props designing backgrounds it was a good way to get into the the business and learn from the inside i kind of was doing school at night but i, w- I was an illustration so i never really finished the school to be honest so i learned a lot on the job and um storyboarding was kind of the next step in a way of like oh now i it kind of p- pulls together this love for comics that i have and now all of a sudden you know i started making some uh, storyboards for this cartoon for uh, disney channel it was called peanut butter and, and jelly otters they were like little otters living on on you know on a lake and i remember like oh i'm going to put this little moment by a stream and i'm going to little animate the nice little reflections of the of the water coming through so it was just i was just putting a little miyazaki moment of nature in the middle of this you know a saturday morning cartoon but that got me excited that was like oh now i can kind of i have a little bit of control i have a script but storyboarding is exciting i can look at miyazaki's amazing work and let it inspire my my work and then of course i have to mention the image boards that he makes because those image boards also blew our, our, our mind because the fact that he was doing these beautiful watercolors and and in pencil and, and watercolor you know was just like and his comics you know some of the comics would have a lot of that too so that also started influencing my work huge because i loved how quick that is i've always i've never been one to do a beautiful painting as because i come a bit more from comics i like sketching and storyboarding is so um you know more of a quick art and especially once you get to feature even quicker in tv i think you know you have to be still pretty a model and you're you're guiding animators ultimately but in in features then you know i made it to blue sky studios which was a was actually a little bit of a tough transition because you know there's a there's a divide between tv and and features in in animation and industry here so it's one of those things like well we we can't hire you you don't have experience in features you're like well catch 22 is like if you don't give me a chance i'll never have you know a, a, an opportunity and and um i remember having to kind of show what i could do for features and having to show them ideas or showing the comics and that actually ended up being more helpful than just showing them tv series uh, you know storyboards because those don't really quite show what you can do you know that's um suzuki quote that you, you gave i mean i've read a lot of his writing and we had him on the podcast as well um but that, but that that is i've never heard him say it speak about it in that way before and it's so evocative and explains a lot why sometimes uh Miyazaki films start out being 45 minutes meant to be 45 minutes long and end up being an hour and a half long or something like spirited away where they get two-thirds of the way through the storyboards and they realize the film's gonna be four hours long <laughs> another thing i actually heard from Miyazaki himself 
you know, by, by now, I mean, one of the reasons to go to Pixar was like, oh, I'm going to be able to be kind of closer to the connection they have, um, is that he talked about this more than a couple of times um, as, as I met him a few, a few times in the last 15 years, is that he really felt strongly that as you take off into a story, another metaphor, this one, flight, that you shouldn't know exactly where you're landing is that he felt like he, 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 so he really believed in really going and, and exploring what the, the story wants to be and that the characters will tell you where they want to end. And that also completely befuddled us because it, it, it's just so different from the way we do anything here, right? But it actually calls back a little bit to a lot of writers that are, are novelists that, that I think think a little bit more that way because, you know, this idea that the characters start telling you what feels right, it, it's true, right, to, to a lot of kind of writing. And um, But that is an interesting thing, which I, I do admit that you start wondering, like, how did he find all these amazing, perfect movies um, and, and I, you know, I can't, you know, I don't mean to be too, um, critical here, but I can't help but feel that in the last few years of his oeuvre, some landings didn't quite stick for me. And this is a subjective thing, but you could sense in, in, in movies like Ponyo and even with all the amazing documentaries they make, they don't make too much of a, a secret of it. They were struggling to find the ending. And so you're like, wow, it's amazing that he found all these amazing landings. And then sometimes they don't come together as beautifully. You know what I mean? I, I, I can't help but feel that there's a little bit of that in the last few years. And, you know, um, I might get in trouble with some, some Ponyo uh, fans. But like I feel, I, I, as a, and maybe it's me also slowly having my own voice and finding my own critical point of view. Um, but, um, I can love some of these later movies a little more in parts and maybe I am a little bit more dissatisfied with, with, with the landings, interestingly. We're open to all opinions here. In fact, Jake and I are on record as not being big fans of House Moving Castle. And I think that is one where, that's another one where it's quite a big, messy film. Does it land in the end in a way that's satisfying? It's a good question to ask. Yeah, I would think that might have been, I would be with you where it's the first movie where I felt um, if we use that metaphor, I felt he was up in the sky and then he went like, and we landed and we're like, whoa, what, what happened? Uh, I felt the difficulty and I never, I had never felt that before, you know, even, even in a movie like Princess Mononoke, which has a lot going on. I remember still being held and being, being like, uh, uh you know, um, I, I think maybe it took a little while to circle the landing in, in Princess Mononoke and then he landed. But uh, uh, but um, I, I loved it. I love this metaphor. <laughs> We've got... Oh, it's, it's, the, it's the perfect metaphor for Miyazaki. Of course, he's going to tie anything he can to flying, isn't he? Enrico, it's amazing to have your vindication about our kind of house moving castle opinion because we, we've suffered so many complaints on Twitter for our views on that. Uh, I mean, we, we must move on to, to your storytelling as well. And so we've gone from you watching these TV series, you're buying these comics, you're getting into animation, uh, you're studying, and then you're working on PB&J, then you're at Blue Sky, and then how does La Luna happen? And what are you taking from all of that experience and from going back to those watching Heidi at the Alps or Future Boy Conan 
that ultimately leads to your own stories on screen. Yeah, I, I think the first step of that is making my own comics. And that, that is even before I got to Pixar. And interestingly, something that helped me get to Pixar, which is um, its own thing. But, but out, of, out of the New York kind of TV animation scene, a, a, a lot of talent, a lot of good friends there, but also a little bit of frustration. Jobs are a little bit, un, 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 you know, they come and go. And we started, um, you know, but we all love comics. We, you know, you get the the lunch crowd that goes to the comic shop and you start really getting uh, uh, tired and with good friends. And um, they wanted to do a an anthology. So I did, you know, they're like, it was called Monkey Suit. Uh, monkey suit press. Someone said, "Like you never go, you can never go wrong with a monkey suit." Uh, <laughs> they were thinking about Halloween or something, and so it made me like, "Okay, what, what story I want to tell?" And I make a story about a flying cat called Mia Castelli who lives in Cinque Terre, and um, I because I love to, I love planes. My brother is a pilot. My best friend is a pilot too. Uh, so I've always, that's why Porco Rosso landed so hard on, uh, pun not intended, uh, on me. But um, it's it's obviously super inspired by Porco Rosso and trying to bring a little bit in my own world of Cinque Terre and Liguria, interestingly. And I bring the, the Schneider Cup, which is actually an interesting true cup that they would make with, right, it's mentioned in Porco Rosso. So Porco Rosso made me kind of, you know, read about the history of these wonderful uh, seaplanes. And so that comic book actually was seen by a good friend, Ronnie Del Carmen, who's an amazing story artist, a big fan also of all these amazing movies. And actually the side project kind of got me like, you know, like, oh, you should you should send your portfolio. Maybe there's there's a position here. So that got me to Pixar in many ways, more than the the, the day jobs or the portfolio that you prepare sometimes. And then, you know, I, I get to Pixar. There's this lovely connection. So you, you get to, you know, we had a lunch with Miyazaki uh, a couple of times. We, you know, of course, uh, some of the directors of Pixar directed the dubs of many of these movies. So the, the connection started there. And then when it got to a point of like, hey, could I, could I pitch a short? You know, you, of course, I, I had, you know, by now, I think a little bit in my DNA, the kind of storytelling that Miyazaki is interested in and, and that I'm interested in. And so um, I kind of took this personal story of my, my, my dad and my grandfather always fighting and really having a hard relationship and me feeling very stuck between them because they were like, you know, they would just kind of try and bring me a bit to their sides. I took that personal story and I started imagining how can I make something more fantastical out of it. And um, that is how I made this first short. And of course, you know, I, I decided to board it and I was watercoloring some of the boards. So people were like, are you crazy? I'm like, well, I, mean, it's, I can do it. I can do it too. Uh, and, and you have a lot of control over your thing when you're, when you're making a short. So it was this wonderful thing of, and I didn't watercolor every board. I ended up doing some digitally, but um, it was so fun to do that. And then, you know, um, direct that short and through the years and, and take it to Ghibli. I guess we had to talk about that because, I mean, we got a chance to do some press in Japan. And after a few visits, by now, they probably knew knew me from like, it's that guy that keeps on bugging us. But uh, we wanted to show it there and they, we we got a, a chance to. So we got everybody in their uh, theater and Miyazaki 
you know, they told me to sit by Miyazaki. We watched La Luna. I was, I mean, I don't think I ever uh, sweated as much as that day. I was so nervous. There's definitely a bit of Julia in me on, on that day. If you, if you, if you have seen Luca, you might get that. And then, you know, there's this silence once it's done and everybody's just waiting, of course, for his reaction before anyone says anything. And then he, he, he kind of applauds and he, you know, um, everybody applauds and he says a few words of like, yeah, I, got, I, yeah, I think he, I remember he appreciated the sense of trying to want to be like your dad and your dad wanted to, you know, but also the kid is trying to emulate them in many ways, but then he, um, he also, of course, has to find his own way. It was a crazy day. I mean, you know, I, I, I still were t- was talking about it now because, you know, we're a little bit in touch with Ghibli. We sent him, we sent him Luca. Um, and so uh, I was reminding people that some people didn't know that we had done that. Um, so that was crazy. That was, you know, and, and it's been such a pleasure to, to be at, at Pixar where, again, sometimes you get these little things. Oh, there's a... I remember they were about to dub uh, Ponyo and they sent a rough cut of Ponyo with a lot of stuff still in pencils. And I was just like, okay, that is the the, the dream of, of, of anyone. So you want to come in? You want to come watch this in the screening room? And we're like, oh, boy, if I hadn't passed it here, <laughs> what a, I would have missed this. So I, I just loved all these uh, lovely connections between the two studios and, um, yeah, I, I mean, I, when you come to Luca, I, I guess I feel there's obviously um, a sense of wonder toward nature and uh, a sense of being in the kids' world that I totally wanted to bring to a, to a, 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 this movie, which is actually an interesting challenge because we haven't done that at Pixar, and it, it means sometimes slowing down a little bit of the pace of the movie. It means that you're going, you're trying to keep the scope smaller. So the inspiration from Totoro and uh, um, are pretty obvious in wanting to be in that world. Um, I think that's what we were really trying to do. And, and interestingly, I think it's something that is um, making some people love the movie and a lot of it, and, and a few not love it. Like I think we've gotten some reviews that are not you know not positives, and might be because of that you know intentional choice. But uh, yeah, here we are with, of course, you know, also then stylistically, we, we, we love to bring some 2D, you know, we, we dug deep a little bit and, you know, the way that I had done, for example, La Luna, there was like simplification in the reflections of the water, like we were trying to keep things really um, beautifully simple, but like a kid's book illustration. So we wanted to push this even further with Luca and that does, you know, we, we do look, of course, how does Ghibli do water, which is this beautiful simplification. We dug a little deeper too, for example, with the water, because, you know, we want to make sure that we, we look at all the inspiration and we looked at uh, John Sugar Sargent, watercolors of Venice and how he does, for example, reflection. And then we found these beautiful woodblock prints, which to me, is a really interesting thing, right? Because that is probably where some of Miyazaki's visual inspiration comes from. The the ukiyo-e woodblock prints of these beautiful boats on the water. Now the reflection gets really quite simplified, right? There was something about that dancing reflection getting kind of 
simple as opposed to because I think when it gets photorealistic, it gets so detailed and you, there's too many things going on. In our movie, we were really trying to get to a more lyrical simplicity. And so we're trying to take a lot of detail out, which sometimes is hard because the computer naturally wants to do realism, uh, especially with effects like these, you know. So that was also an interesting, a really interesting process of like, you know, deconstructing a bit what we love of those movies and, and uh, the stylization and bring some of that inspiration into a lot of different departments. We, we went through animation is a fun one to talk about because we like, I wanted to show them Future Boy Con and, and let's look at a, a, a run cycle. The timing is so, you know, they were working with a lot of limits. I mean, there's threes, you know, there's, there's instead of 24 frames a second, there's, you know, certainly twos, which means 12 or less. Um, so we, we took a lot of, uh, it was really fun to see the animators then kind of like, oh, maybe there's this kind of timing that we would bring to our CG, which is much more, you know, 24 frames a second smoother uh, to find a bit of its own expressive uh, style, which is really fun to kind of see them, um, enjoying the, 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 the references and kind of bringing some of that inspiration in, in the cartoonier, expressive, you know, we wanted something more playful because we're with the kids. Absolutely. And that, because that really struck me when I watched the film, I'd seen, because I didn't get a chance to watch this until the weekend, the end of the weekend. So I'd seen a few of our my critic friends and colleagues with those reviews coming out saying, you know, Ghibli, and the, the, the references to Ponyo, to Totoro, Kiki's Lyric Service. And I watched it and I saw in the, the figures of the character designs of the kids, the way they moved was very Future Boy Conan. And then over the weekend on Instagram, Lorenzo Fresta uh, putting out this beautiful little animation, almost as a tribute to the kids, which is very much in that sort of 70s Miyazaki style. Yeah. Oh, the ones on the Vespa? Um, there's one of them them in a boat, I think. Um, oh, I should look at that. Because I, I, I've ended up following a lot of uh, like Pixar story artists because uh, they, they all post lots of Ghibli fan art, like Yon Lee as well, posts post loads. <laughs> um, oh, yeah, yeah. Yon is amazing. Yeah, totally. So it's really cool to then hear you say that was actually a, a touchstone for you in, in the character design and the way the kids were moving. Very much 70s Miyazaki. You know, these critics didn't go deep enough <laughs> in the references they yeah. were making. Yeah, I think that was definitely fun. And, you know, I mean, Alberto's tank top, as you can tell, it's pretty, it's pretty much an homage there. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was that. We also, you know, the ones that also stand out, interestingly, it's early Miyazaki because there was a playfulness that when you look at Castle of Cagliostro and the runs over the castle uh, rooftops, that there was just a joy in the animation uh, and the playfulness that, interestingly, I miss a little bit in, in some of the later work, right? Because he's gone uh, kind of deeper and sometimes darker. But, um, I mean, I think that's what excited me about Ponyo in some way, that he, he wanted to return to a Totoro-like kind of a child's world, which I think that that movie is beautifully, beautifully playful in in all its animation, the waves and everything, right? There's just something, it did so many amazing things in that movie. Enrico, I've, I've got to ask, because I'm just uh, a bored Michael to death about uh, the food in Studio Ghibli films <laughs> uh, and that that is, that I, you rarely... Uh, come out of a Studio Ghibli film without feeling hungry as well. 
and uh yeah i mean you successfully made me hungry with uh, luca as well <laughs> and uh i loved trinitao pesto is it is such a in theory it's a simple dish but it is a beautiful dish and it's like a a kind of, it has such a key part in the story and i think that kind of simplicity but nourishment that comes from it is very kind of reminiscent of your entire film uh and so i would just love to ask you about like the the importance of of food in the film and your approach to that because it's it's obviously a, a hugely important thing in italy and uh, i mean in, in england we wouldn't really celebrate our food culture but in italy you certainly would right right yeah it, you know it's funny it it, it it, I, I think almost without realizing it, to be completely honest, we the Trinette become acceptance <laughs> for Massimo, right? Like that's what I love about it. And I, I don't know that we were completely conscious, but the the, the sharing of the food was at, at the beginning. It was just like this, you know, wonderful opportunity for um to yeah to show how much they love it. But of course, it's a it, it's a it's a fish out of water moment of like, they don't know what, what's going on here. And they're just completely blown away and they're going to act completely crazy. Uh, and, and so the comedy really is like, what is wrong with you? But also, boy, you like that pasta a lot. But then I, I love how this thread of the pasta uh, became more important for the movie, because especially for Massimo, right? He's preparing it. He was, I made your favorite thing. You know, it's really kind of showing how he's uh, um, accepting these boys into his life. And then even, you know, toward the end of the movie becomes, you know, little spoiler alert if people haven't seen it, but, but like it becomes even how he invites, um, you know, all of the sea folks um, into his home. So I love that, that, that became this thread of acceptance. It feels very true of our culture. You know, we definitely are a, uh, we love to invite people in and, and sharing food is a great way to uh, make family. And I will say that you're absolutely right about their food, right? We've had many a conversation of like, and again, it comes back to, why is this so why do they make it look so tasty and i think it's just there's a lot of care and love in the way they do it but there's also this kind of distilling of, of detail you're not gonna if you took a photo of a ramen it wouldn't look that delicious uh right there's the, the way that i mean the the ramen or even the tea which is like you know some milk tea with with honey it's just done with such love. It's simplified in a, in a way, but beautifully in detailed detail, um, you know, actually cell shading, right? Cause actually they choose to not make it a painting. Yeah. There's just something amazing about that in many ways. It, it, it actually made us in many different ways, design wise, we always felt like, how do we tone down the amount of detail? How do we take out some of the photorealism and so that, it can feel a little more like a lyrical moment that you can kind of uh, would have drawn in, in detail. You know, I don't know what it is, but I, I, I think that it, to me is a big part of it. Um, distilling and bringing down to a, a slight more lyrical simplification of it, you know, like, like a little poem as opposed to an essay or something. But there, yeah, you could go. There's there's visual essays right on YouTube about all their amazing food, and um, it's just like it's kind of amazing that in some ways 
with cell shading because there's there there are usually it's once it's moving they're kind of forced to do that right but that it's more effective in, in this uh, wild way yeah we knew we wanted to get those details right and we knew you know like so a, a lot of the, what i talk about is like you know well the traditional way would have potatoes and string beans in it and that actually that's a little detail i think added to, to, to that dish because it, it's just not not only pasta but yeah, no, I'm glad that 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 uh, that it makes people a little hungry. We we say it should come with a warning. Try to try to have some pasta handy after this movie, <laughs> and some pasta. You know, um, I'm glad we have this that thread. And honestly, I I it kind of almost surprised me how that thread of Massimo came together and how it kind of meant so much. Uh, it was together with his own opening of his heart toward these kids. It's just beautiful. Uh, anything to do with food just kind of gets gets me gets me excited. But also, it's just, there's there's so much emotion tied to food uh, for me. Anyway, it's such a sensory thing. Like like even the ice cream. I've I've just got to check. Uh, is is Luca having pistachio flavor ice cream? Yeah, is that right? yeah, yeah. It is. That's correct. Absolutely, one of the best flavors. Yeah, we went through a lot of a lot of discussion, and you know, like, what should it be, stracciatella or or. Um, I think there's some stracciatella and then there's some strawberry too, of course, you know, because I mean, we have such amazing fruit ice cream. And then, you know, some of those choices become also like, well, if you put strawberry in front of Alberto's face, you're not going to see it that well because, it was, you know, and so sometimes you're like, oh, what's nice, tasty and pops a little bit, you know, because it, you, you sometimes have juxtaposition of their skin tones you know on top of it well I, I would love to do a little kind of ghibli checklist uh for a few things that we 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 were furiously noting down and we can we can fact check them with you so is is julia's outfit styled after tombo from kiki's delivery service oh i hadn't thought about that um because she's got the red and white striped shirt and jeans. Yeah, I hadn't thought about Tombo as much. But yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if those things, it, it wasn't a one-to-one to me, like, let's make it make her look like like Tombo. I think they come a little, become a little bit subconscious because you just love that kind of a, a vibe. But um, there was also something that wanted to be fisherman-like and very blue-collar that we were after there. And that is kind of what made us go in that direction. You know, we want a little bit of a sense of it being beat up. And the cap, especially, is quite typical of Liguria. Um, and that we would give her this kind of like fisherman cap was kind of a, a, an important, fun detail. But yeah, I think that that wasn't uh, very conscious on my side. But again, and I will mention Daniela Strijleva, who is our production designer, I think did one of the first drawings for Julia. It's, of course, also a huge fan of, the, of these movies and we speak the same language. And maybe, I don't know, I've got so many favourite bits of the film, but one of my favourite bits is the, the the kind of Vespa heaven as the machines kind of all go into the sky. And that immediately evokes, for me, the, the plain heaven from Porco Rosso, which, for me, is the the pinnacle of... Miyazaki's work like as a standout moment I think that is just an incredible piece of work and I could see that and I could see it in your film as well and I was so moved by it and I thought it was so beautiful uh, and I didn't know whether that was in your head at the time yeah that one was a little bit more in our heads because once you start thinking about you know I mean 
not immediately because we had this just idea of like, oh, we're, we, that was given by the fact that Alberto told him of these, you know, fish. So it was like, oh, actually, this is kind of a fun thing because we could make it really surreal that he's imagining the wrong thing, right? And that was the beginning of that. But once I started thinking of it and we started boarding it, there was just something. And actually, Lorenzo Fresta boarded that scene. So he, he was a big part of it. And he's such a, a huge Ghibli nerd like, like me. And um, once we started boarding it, then you immediately start thinking, okay, what, you know, there's all these beautiful shots of you're about to join a river of fish. And when you start thinking that way, you're like, oh, yeah, that is that beautiful, beautiful scene, you know. And so there are definitely, as we were boarding it and putting it in layout, we definitely, there were definitely a few times where I was like, well, think of that awesome shot when you're really behind uh, Marco's plane and, and, and there's just this beautiful perspective of, of a line of, of um you know, a little that could be fish even in in the in 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 Porco Rosso because you don't see the details up front. But yeah, you're right. What a what a what a scene. Yeah, it, it, it's interesting. That's your absolute favorite because it certainly is up there, isn't it? That one for sure because also it's it's bordered by Lorenzo, who's you know it was such a pleasure to have. You know, for me it was just a huge help to have someone in the team. Who, who spoke Italian and spoke to, to the to the culture, you know, so that, you know, I wouldn't be the only one kind of rowing in that direction about the details and about the the, the, um, uh, the things we wanted to put in there. You had the problem sometimes, you know, people would put a palm on the beach and you're like, well, no, not quite, right? Like, like this is not what it's like there. Um, but yeah, he, he, he really knocked it out of the park with this scene. And the idea that the ramp that it's part of their, um, I, I love how that subtle little, you know, of course he's, he's making that little ramp they jumped off of into this huge ramp too. So that, that everything has been transponded into this super, uh, or, or, or very surreal land. Um, that was a little touch from Lorenzo, which is just amazing. Yeah. I, I, I love that scene. And, and it enabled me to do, you know, the question for me from day one was, can I do what I did in the short in the feature in many ways? And, and, and in many ways, you can't exactly because, you know, the movie needs to do much, many more things than a short. And so the imagination gave me the opportunity to de delve into this fantastical side and bring some of that, you know, magical, uh, you know, surrealism of the short in a few pieces into the movie. I suppose, you know, we, we did have our checklist of uh, Ghibli-related themes, you know, trains and cats. I, I love the fact that there's an emotional turning point where it's a person coming to our hero's rescue with an umbrella in the rain, which is very similar to a moment in Totoro. Um, but I suppose, um, I, I wouldn't, if you don't mind, I'd like to turn the question on you. Is there a, you said you've got all the way back to your Disney Channel days, you were thinking about putting Ghibli moments on screen in your own work. Is there a Ghibli moment in Luca that no one's spotted yet? Because you must have been bored so much by people talking about Ghibli <laughs> at you during these, this interview phase. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. Is there one that people haven't caught? Yeah, that's a good question. Well, uh, I'll say this. We haven't talked too much about boats and, and boat wakes are something that, again, in La Luna, we were really very conscious of trying to design something around the boat wake. 
And I love how Ghibli simplifies these things to beautiful round shapes. So I will say that the waves and the bow wakes are something we worked really hard to stylize. And again, to get a little bit of that lyricism. And so that's one thing. Um, there's a beautiful little wave lapping in and lapping out that we worked really hard with effects to not have photorealistic and have design and beautifully, you know. So, of course, that is one. I'll also say if you look at the, you know, we end the movie with cards, a lot like Totoro, right? So that was there was just something for me that Totoro did that I, I borrowed there because the way that you get a little bit of a closure, oh, mom comes home. Oh, and here's the next season with, with Totoro. And here's, you know, the, the life goes on. It was something that I felt was kind of important for that movie where we end on this kind of um, very bittersweet moment, but sad as well, right? So I, I love the idea of, of telling a tiny bit more story. But if you, of course, look at my my card where the first card that is i drew that one it's the only one i drew because uh, nicole castro did all the other ones which i wanted to to do them you know i i i asked her to do all these which is so much fun to do actual 2d but i i was like i'll, I'll take that one and that is a beautiful kind of little wave that uh, of course is very you know, inspired by Porco Rosso and all the way, the beautiful waves they, they've done, you know, throughout all their, their movies. And, I, you know, it's interesting, not only, so that speaks to my love of Ghibli and it speaks to my love of water and of the region because when I think, you know, so much of the inspiration for Luca was like, I, I just miss that water. And I, I feel like, I do feel I was, you know, in the summers, you would turn into a little fish. They wouldn't never want to get out of that water. And I love also how, how waves are breath. There's something about the sound effect. We worked hard also on the sound effects of the waves to get it just right, to get it specific to the area. So there, there'll be some pebbles in it because they're rocky as opposed to sandy beaches. And so I loved how, how the, the in and out of the waves also feels a bit like a life-giving breath. So again, those are some some scenes I, I, I love that I certainly um, always loved in, in also their, you know, their movies. There is so much love in it and I love it so much. Uh, but I know we've got, we've got to wrap up. Uh, but before we do wrap, I, I can't not say how much uh, again how much I've, i really loved the film as a curly head sweatier than average kid i was raised on cycling and ice cream and astronomy and like there was just so much within the film that uh i found so affecting and uh for me it is it's, it's the best film that has been made this year and it's just such a such an honor to be able to talk to you about it oh thank you i'm so glad you, you enjoyed it yeah it, it, i mean really that is probably the most meaningful uh moment for us you know we work so much but when you really get this wonderful connection to the audience that has been affected i mean i don't think that, that there's anything better than feeling people really um not only just having loved it but being touched so that's that that i i couldn't hope for more you know that is still the best way to 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 feel like as a filmmaker that you're communicating um, and I mean, uh, again, luckily I had a, an amazing, amazing team around me that either embraced the, the challenge of bringing some of these wonderful inspirations into it 
were already were, were there with me along the way of like you know that they had it in their blood as well and Enrico we love the film as a film I know we've been nerding out about Ghibli and thank you for having so much patience with us <laughs> while we do that <laughs> you know it, it stands on its own as well uh, and, we, and we love it for it we do have one question before we go which we ask all our guests um, so we love talking about Ghibli we started this podcast because one day at work I found out that Jake hadn't seen any of the films and I had seen all of them I've succeeded in my mission I've made Jake see all the films and turned him into a super fan so now one thing we're asking all our guests is where could we go next is there a, a studio or a filmmaker within animation that we should give the treatment like we have with Ghibli oh yeah that's very interesting well I would think that there's two artists and two directors that I've been excited about one is Masaki Yuasa and they're a little bit off the beaten path and he's done TV series a lot more, but there's a movie he made called Mind Game that is crazy and and really, really interesting and really kind of, it, it felt like uh, unique. It's uh, uh, bizarre and, and, you know, certainly not for kids. Um, but I, I, his work continuously kind of seems joyful and strange. I think he made also Lulu over the wall uh, and uh, Kemono uh, Zume. It's, it's kind of a, a, a few TV series. I've been keeping an eye on him just because, and I, I haven't seen everything he's done, but he has that kind of like simple character that move and the, the joy of movement. Very, very prolific and, and you know, um, not a, very unlike uh, Ghibli, of course, but I, I find his work exciting. He did recently um, this beautiful TV series about kids nerding out and being, wanting to make anime uh, called uh, Get Your Hands Off Eizu Ken. I don't know if you've seen that one, but that one, uh, 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 there's just some joy in it, some wonderful sense of insider <laughs> love for the industry. And then the other one is Mamoru Osoda, whose movies now he has a few. You probably have seen some, but I love Wolf Children. I love the girl that left through time. So I, I keep tabs on them. I think those are the two that come to mind. Two brilliant suggestions. Absolutely. And I think, Jake, yeah, that, that, they'd be two amazing journeys to take you on, particularly Uasa. I think he'd break your brain a bit in terms of what can be done. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he definitely does things that, to be completely honest, I, I, I don't always follow him, but, but uh, there, he goes far. It goes very far. And I think, you know, I mean, of course, it's in this world of TV animation becomes this slightly different thing, you know, and uh, because they're so scrappy, they have to be so scrappy, right? Um, but I'm always amazed at how, you know, the amount of, of work that he's able to produce. Um, and, and lately, especially in that series with these, there's just, it, it speaks a lot about collaboration and, and, it's actually kind of crazily close to making a movie, a Pixar kind of experience, but it's like teenagers trying to make anime is the, is that show, which is kind of bizarre. It's like making a show about making anime. <laughs> you know what I mean? Am I right? This might be, I'm always remembering because uh, I haven't had a chance to watch Isaac in yet. Aren't they making Future Boy Conan? Or there's like lots of Future Boy Conan references in the show. I think... I think they show them looking at it and loving it and, and being inspired by it. So that's our link. We've got to, we've got to do it, Jake. It's a fun show. Yeah. Cause it's just like, um, it hits home again, 
it is a there's a little bit of that insider baseball kind of vibe of it because uh, but since um some of the references that won't be you know uh missed yeah i think you'd enjoy it i'd be fascinated to watch lou over the wall as a double bill with luca as two <laughs> um seaside stories although lou over the wall is much more over the top as well as over the wall <laughs> yeah, yeah right yeah yeah I, and, and that was an interesting one because i saw it like probably a year ago, like, you know, yeah, it was bizarre to see the the idea of a mermaid and how they played with that. With that, it, It's rather strange, yeah, uh, a movie. But yeah, there's always an interesting charm to it. Absolutely. Enrico, thank you so much for talking with us. It's been such a pleasure. Thank you so much. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you so much to Enrico Casarossa for talking with us about Luca, about La Luna, about his history with animation, and of course, Studio Ghibli, or as we found out, his history with Ghibli before it was even Ghibli, dating back to Miyazaki's TV series in the 1970s, like Future Boy Conan. I think that's the second time now that Future Boy Conan has been referenced within one of our interviews. Of course, Rebecca Sugar talked it up. Quite a lot, didn't didn't she, Jake? She did indeed. There's there's just so much out there that we could cover that we haven't covered yet. I mean, when is Hosoda going to be added to the list? When is uh, Yuasa going to be added to the list? We've got so much homework to do, Michael. Uh, what what a joyous thing to be uh, looking ahead to. I'm sure. I'm not sure when they're going to happen, but I'm excited for them already. The great unknown that's stretching out ahead of us for this podcast. Let's see if we get to them someday. I would absolutely love to see what you make of Devilman Crybaby. Uh, U.S.'s Netflix series. One of many brain-bending moments. But that is it for this episode of The Chat Returns. If you want to keep up with us in the meantime, you can email us. We're ghibli at little.studios.com. We're also on Twitter at ghibliotech. Michael's over there too. He's at Michael J. Leader. And you can follow Jake at Jake H. Cunningham. Ghibliotech is a Little.studios production. Our artwork is by Sophie Moe, our music is by Anthony Ying, and James Payne is our editor. The show is produced by Michael Leader, Jake Cunningham, Harold McShill, and Steph Watts.